This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Before we get into today's episode, we'd like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your England Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I am Maddie Guest, and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host, Sophie Dicker. Maddie Guest, we're actually at the last episode of our series about is this in good investment, but, and I'm really sad, but. <laughs> no, you mean we love this company, oh. <laughs> but is it a good investment? <laughs> you would have thought by week eight, I would have got it. I was going to say, I'm <laughs> glad to say that I've gotten to the end and you still don't understand. <laughs> but I've actually really enjoyed like diving into companies and I feel like the feedback's just been incredible. I know it's been so much fun. People don't want to do research. Yeah. <laughs> they just want to make us do the research. <laughs> You're all welcome. <laughs> so today, um, usually we jump across to a community member but today was actually Maddie's pick. <laughs> I thought we were going to fake a community member. <laughs> oh no, today was absolutely Maddie's pick and I'm so down for it because I know nothing about this company and I didn't know you could invest in it. I need a little drum roll. We love Formula One, but is it a good investment? <laughs> so Maddie, for anyone that doesn't know what Formula One is, I feel like I only know tidbits because of you <laughs> slash a tiny bit of drive to survive. What is Formula One? Okay, so Formula One is the world's most prestigious motor racing competition, as well as the world's most popular annual sporting series. The Formula One World Championship is an annual, approximately nine month long motor race based competition. And each team, so think Red Bull, Mercedes, McLaren, has two drivers that compete for the team. And then the teams compete for the Constructors' Championship versus the drivers compete for the driver's championship. So there's sort of two competitions running concurrently for each race. So usually step one of building an investment thesis is pick your opportunity. How did you even pick I didn't know you could even invest in sport. Yeah, I mean, this is a great one and we'll get into that in a minute because it is one of the few sort of examples of a sport that you actually can invest directly in. I guess picking the opportunity for this one was really around how much Formula One has grown recently. You know, I grew up where my dad was has always been quite into F1 and all sort of motor car racing. And honestly, like the amount of time that it has been on our TV in our living room, and I just could not have been less interested. And then since watching Drive to Survive on Netflix, and I mean, this has been around for years, so it's not anything new. But since watching that, I have become completely obsessed with this sport. Like the dynamics and the strategy behind it is fascinating. And Honestly, I think it is something that so many people have experienced and the popularity in the sport has risen completely, in my mind, out of nowhere. I feel like there's a common occurrence here a little bit. (laughs) 
there's like new sports popping up into your life and new teams you're becoming obsessed with because uh, we were out on the weekend together and I think I had about seven people <laughs> come up to me and say, are you Maddie's friend, the one that's obsessed with the Matildas? Look, this episode, we, for context, we're recording this on August 15th because so few are up in Sydney, so we thought we would do it together. So at this stage, the Matildas have just gotten through to the semi-final, which is tomorrow. And honestly, I reckon I think about them every five minutes in my day. We know. We know. We, we do know that. Yeah, we see it all over your Instagram. It's fine. Yeah, Formula One, I think once I was able to understand it better, like it was like this Netflix series was just an epic translation of the sport because to the initial eye, it just seems like cars driving around a racetrack. And you're like, how interesting can this be? Yeah. But my gosh, it is so interesting. So step number two in building up an investment thesis is build the story. And I would actually love for you to give us your full historian rundown of this one because I actually don't know anything really about like Formula One and how it's built up. Yes. So I want to start with what I am going to refer to as the Bernie Eccleston era. So F1 first began in 1950, but it wasn't until 1974 that we really saw sort of the creation of the Formula One Constructors Association. It was an association designed to represent the interests of the privately owned teams against sort of race organisers. And when this association started, this guy, Bernie Eccleston, who was an owner of one of the teams at the time, was promoted to an executive position on the association, which that happened in 1978. And by March of 1981, so around three years later, he had won the rights to negotiate TV contracts. So Bernie Eccleston is a really famous British businessman and I guess you could say he's kind of responsible for being the one who really commercialised Formula One. And what kind of time was this, like the commercialisation? He won the TV rights in 1980, but there was a change in ownership sort of a little bit after that. So I guess to split this up, the FIA is what is known as the governing body, which owns Formula One from like a sporting perspective. So they run the series, they set the rules, they have standards for like circuit grading and safety and things like that. They have driver's licensing, but then a separate entity actually owns the commercial side of the sport. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Right. So between 2006 and 2016, F1's commercial rights were owned by a private equity firm called CVC. And so when you say commercial, can you just give a quick rundown like what the commercial means, like what we're talking about? Yes. So there are sort of three main ways that Formula One makes money. So I'll break it down. The first one is race promotion. So countries around the world pay Formula One to to host the race. So the Victorian government, for example, is believed to pay around $78 million in 2022 to host the Melbourne race. And that race promotion forms about one third of Formula One's revenue. Mm -hmm. The next one is media rights. So that's the money that they get paid by TV stations to distribute Formula One. F1 is actually broadcast in around 70 countries around the world. So it's a truly global sport and it's across around 105 different channels. Well, yeah, because they move around all the time. Yeah, exactly. Global. We're going to get into the race schedule in a little bit. But last year, Formula One and ESPN actually agreed to a new TV rights deal that will run all the way through to the 2025 season. And that cost ESPN somewhere between 75 and $90 million per year. Is that exclusive or can they make deals with lots of different, what do you call them, broadcasters? Yeah, I 
want to say it's a good question. I want to say that's like localized because I know, for example, Foxtel have the rights in Australia and there are sort of a few different platforms that you can watch it on. But maybe research that if you are wanting to use this episode as a starting point for your investment thesis. So we've got race promotion, media rights. What's the third way or what's the third prong of commercial side of F1? Yeah. So the third one is sponsorship. So sponsorship for F1 as a whole and also as of individual races. The Dutch beer brand Heineken are the biggest spenders when it comes to F1. So Heineken alone pays 50 million in sponsorship to F1. And as a part of that deal, they are the sole global beer provider for Formula One. So that probably works out pretty well for them, especially now that Formula One races have become a lot more popular. I imagine there's a lot of beer drinking going on. But other brand sponsors include Qatar Airways, Saudi Aramco, Rolex, Salesforce, DHL, and all of these brands are paying like 30, 40, 50 million each. So this is a huge revenue driver for F1. Okay, so 2016, it was bought out by Liberty Media. What does that entail? That's correct. So Liberty Media is a big media brand based over in the US and they purchased the rights, the commercial rights to Formula One from that CVC private equity company for 4.4 billion dollars in 2016 that's huge 4.4 billion money but i can tell you now it would be worth so much more money now because the sale to liberty media has really brought with it some huge changes so for the first time in a very long time in formula one's history they kind of pushed out bernie eccleston that big british businessman that i was telling you about earlier and he did incredible stuff for formula one but I do think there was this sense that there was some change required at the leadership end. Right. So they appointed a new CEO called Chase Carey and they bought out Eccleston's remaining shares in the company. So F1 really has rebranded and they've done a lot of work in modernizing the sport, which we are going to get into in a little bit. But one of the major things that they've done is actually changed the social media presence. So under Bernie Eccleston, he really believed that the pit lanes where the F1 drivers like come in and come out and the cars are worked on and all of that kind of stuff where they prep for their races, hang out after the race. Bernie Eccleston believed that that area should remain private and cut off from the public. And one of the first things that Liberty Media actually did was change those rules. The drivers can now use social media in the pit lanes. And that has done so much just for, I guess, opening up the sport to the public more because the pit lanes is like where all the good stuff happens. And so now it's so much more accessible and you get to understand what's actually going on. I'm just picturing the Inspired Unemployed, what they did there. With video. Daniel Ricciardo. With Daniel so Ricciardo. And like all about being in there, like where all the what do you call them? Players, drivers, drivers. (laughs) (laughs) where the drivers are. And like, you know, I'm, I don't know that much about F1. I've learned a lot through you, but like I, even I get engaged with that. I'm like, Ooh, it's exciting. Super interesting. I think what that really talks to, you know, what the opening up of social media and things like that have done for F1 is it's becoming more attractive to a younger viewer. Yes. And when we think about, I guess, all products, whatever you're trying to sell, the ability to capture a young viewer's attention and then maintain that is really important because, you know, if you can get people in young and if they're buying into the product, then you've got a whole lifetime of them using the product, watching the product, listening to the product, whatever it is that you're selling. So the ability to, I guess, make F1 more relevant for young people and a big part of that was through social media and then the other big part of that is through the Netflix series Drive to Survive which I'm sure we'll get through that has played a massive part into transforming this sport. 
So we've spoken about the change of leadership, the change of ownership. I'm still a bit confused about how I'm investing in this company. Is Am I buying like Liberty Media? Are they a publicly listed company or am I buying F1? So Liberty Media is publicly listed. They're listed on the NASDAQ. But what they've actually done for Formula One is they've created what's called a trading stock. So instead of investing in Liberty Media and then just being what, you know, X percent exposed to Formula One because, you know, it makes up X percent of their revenue. They've actually split it off from their company and you can actually invest directly in Formula One under the symbol or ticker F-W-O-N-K, FWONK. FWONK or F-WONK? Who chose that? (laughs) I'm going to guess like F1 wasn't available. (laughs) F-WONK. So they've gone with F-WONK. So just to tie it back to make sure I understand really correctly, if I'm buying Fonk on the NASDAQ, yes. which I really want to buy now just because <laughs> of the name, I'm buying into the commercial side. So the sponsorship, the deals with the government, the race promotions, the media rights, the sponsorship, that's the business I'm buying into specifically for F1. Correct. Gotcha. Is there any other tidbits of history that we need to know before we delve into the market and its moat? I think we can get into it. Okay. Perfect. So step number three of building up an investment thesis is to know the market. So who do you think are going to be the competitors for Formula One? Crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Just to clarify, that wasn't cricket the sport. That was crickets. She has no idea. (laughs) Well, I don't – I mean, I honestly did not know that you could invest in F1 as a sport. And so I'm intrigued to know whether you actually can invest in any other sports if any other are publicly traded. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I really struggled with this bit. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the – pretty rare case where you can actually own the sport itself. I believe the only other example is WWE wrestling. What about um, like soccer teams as well? I feel like people, or is that like privately owned? So there are a couple of soccer teams that are listed, Manchester United, AC Milan, but they're teams that are listed. This is you own the entire sport. God, that's so interesting. I just had no idea that any of this was even possible. How good would it be if you could invest in the Tillies? Oh, you would love that. (laughs) I'd be piling in. So it sounds like in this case, it's kind of different to when you're building up an investment thesis. When we talk about other companies, you want to know the market because, you know, you want to know if they have a competitive advantage, whether they can retain market share. This is kind of different. We're maybe more just looking at the question of like, is it a good investment? investment based on just what it is rather than what its competitors are doing. Exactly. So step number three, know the market. We're just going to pass. <laughs> We're just going to pass. Is there like a term in F1 that's like a pass? <laughs> just not the person for sport. In the back. <laughs> okay. Before we jump into though what the moat is, because I want to know what the competitive advantages are of a company like this. A company? Yeah. A sport? Yeah. Let's take a quick break for our sponsors. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So before the break, you ran us through the history of F1. We worked out there weren't really any competitors for it. And so it's quite unique, meaning this section of building up the moat and like why it could be a good company in the future is quite important. What was a standout for why F1 would be a good investment? One of the things I was reading about, which I found super interesting, was this idea of scarcity. And that is one of the things that makes this ability to invest in live sports so unique. I guess if we take a step back, the ability to actually watch scarce media these days is pretty rare. And what I mean by that is you can go into Netflix and watch Stranger Things or, you know, insert favorite show here pretty much anytime you want. You know, there's no, it's not like the good old days when you had to wait until 7 p.m. on a Tuesday night when your favorite show was on TV. Now you can access pretty much anything, anywhere, and you can watch it in bulk. Mine was more that I'd wake up so early as a child and Rage would still be on yes. ABC and it'd be like weird music, like I'd be waiting for cartoons to come on. <laughs> and now I understand why weird music was probably played at 5 a.m. in the morning. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> so going back to sketch media. This idea of appointment viewing. Live sport is only really valuable when you're watching it live. Yes, it's good to watch the replays of your favorite team, but the value and the excitement comes from it when you're watching it live. And so that makes this a really valuable asset. The way that I think about it is that scarcity brings demand almost. You're going to have a greater viewership because people like, I can only watch it once. So it kind of brings in revenue in a way that if you've got more viewership, you've got more sponsorship, you've got more media rights, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if you could watch it anytime, people would be like, well, I could watch that tomorrow or the next day. It's exactly right. It's that flywheel effect that I've started to talk about across all of these episodes. It's interesting. You can see how when we're thinking about an investment thesis, great companies have that strong flywheel effect, which is you know when one small thing, let's say in this example, it's scarcity leads to the next thing which leads to the next thing and the next thing and they compound they make it a really valuable investment so is there a flywheel effect that comes off scarcity that you comes to mind well it's exactly what you just described it's the fact that if eyes are on screen at this time and this specific time only then sponsors are going to want to pay to be on your screen at the same time you've got broadcasters know that there will be eyes on screens at that time so they want to win the rights it's all these things that flow on one after the other what is another competitive advantage i think this is a good time to talk about the transition that formula one has really gone what have you observed in terms of like an increase in popularity well definitely because of drive to survive like the netflix series like even when i'm at work people are talking about it and i've found myself as well so i've watched some of drive to survive but i've also found it with like the tennis because i love the tennis Mm. and i think that what i've seen from that is like there's a growth in the almost youth audience like a lot of sports have that older audience already captured because, you know, they've been growing up with it. But bringing in a new element of like a really dramatic Netflix series where you see behind the scenes of people's lives, as you said, you have the social media element that comes into it. I think it almost captures a whole new audience 
for sport that maybe like, for example, me wouldn't have captured unless it was sitting on Netflix. Yeah, you're completely spot on. The growth in young fans, just to put some numbers to that, 56% of new fans of the sport are aged between 16 and 34. Growth in female fans, 43% of new fans are female versus around 30% historically. And I think that's a big game changer in this from my perspective because you get more of a personal story about the driver I think that's why I'm so engaged like if I just saw the cars going around the track I'm a bit like oh it's just cars going around the track but like when you feel like you know someone's personal story that's honestly what's and I don't know if that's a female thing or not but probably from my perspective it is but it definitely makes it all far more engaging and I think that's why you and I have become so engaged with the finance world because we realize that there are such interesting people and smart people behind all of these businesses and you're not just you know investing on the stock market to make money you're investing in people and leaders who are building companies to change the world how's that for a bloody parallel formula one to like our entire podcast (laughs) (laughs) i also read online that the social media has had crazy growth because of like series like drive to survive yes there are now 49 million followers across the social media platforms with 40 percent growth annually and 1.5 billion aggregate social media engagements it's huge numbers so it was a smart decision to bring the social media to the pit lanes. That was part of it. And then it was the drive to survive that allowed everyone to buy into the story, understand the people behind it. And the social dynamics that play out are just fascinating. And I think that was sort of what really drew people in. Are there any other moats that you want to touch on before we tear apart all your arguments? Yeah, I mean, I guess it comes back to the decisions to do all of these things, social media, drive to survive. And that really comes back to new leadership And they've also made a few different changes within the sport to make the sport more watchable. So one of the biggest examples of that, I guess to take a step back, each year Formula One distributes revenue to each of the teams based on where they finish in the standing. So if you finish first at the end of the season, you're going to get the most money. And if you finish bottom, then you get the least. But I guess what that has done over the years has fed the top teams to do better and better. And it's fed the bottom teams to do increasingly badly because they just don't have the money and in formula one so much of it you know those cars and the technology and the research and development is crazy expensive being able to pay drivers as well exactly so money is a big factor but one of the things that the new leadership have done is they've decided to cap the money that teams can spend on their cars interesting and what that has done is it's helped make the races much more closer and it's ultimately created a much more watchable product and I know people listening right now who are fans are going to be like yeah but Verstappen has won every race this year (laughs) yes Red Bull is dominant but I would say across the field it's much more equal question If you invest, and this has just only come to mind, so sorry if this is just completely off, but if you invest in Fonk, (laughs) where does your money go? You know how like when you invest in like a normal stock, you say if you're investing in, I don't know, Apple, Mm. and like they Apple can like use that capital to acquire companies or like, you know, growth opportunities. Like where does F1 money go? So I guess in the same way, if we think about when we did our episode on L'Oreal, L'Oreal is a parent company and it's the same kind of situation here. So Liberty Media is the parent company of formula one so if you invest your money is going to formula one gotcha good to know so the moat is scarcity media leadership which is just seems to be innovative and bringing in new people and the social media slash young person element with drive to survive as well which is creating a whole new audience it. devil's advocate step number five tearing apart what are some issues with maybe investing in formula one 
So let me ask you, in a sport where there are 20 race cars zooming around a track at record speeds each year, traveling around the world and moving locations every weekend, what comes to mind that may be a potential issue here? It's obviously environmental. I don't even know what the cars would produce, but the fact that you would have however many teams with that many people flying around, probably a lot of it like private, which is probably way worse. And not just flying the people, but flying the cars or the equipment. Yeah, it would be bad for the environment. So there are definitely some ESG concerns. I want to touch on first the fixture. So I want to talk first on the race schedule. So for some context for those who don't follow, The schedule is pretty insane. They go from Australia to Asia to Europe to America, back to Europe, back to Asia, back to Europe, back to Asia. And it's constantly criticized for just making zero sense, not only for the teams and the drivers who have to actually go through that themselves, but for the environment. There is so much flying around. And, you know, especially in Europe, there are races that are in countries right next to each other. And yet those races will be four weeks apart. And in between, they'll go to Australia, Europe and Asia. And it just makes zero sense. Yeah. And also, even if countries are close in Europe, I'm sure. Oh, I guess you could do trucks, but that's still bad. But I was going to say, surely you still have to get the cars there. You couldn't just drive the cars through Europe. It's true. But yeah, the race scheduling has come under a lot of criticism in terms of the environmental impact that it's having. The other thing that is worthwhile touching on is the emissions from the the cars themselves. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because it's quite interesting. Between now and 2030, there is going to be the introduction of new engines and they have to run on zero emission fuel. Do you reckon that's going to like change the sport? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about it. And to be honest, I probably haven't done enough research into it. I remember when it was announced and I can find the episode link and share it in the show notes, the dive, one of the Equity Mates podcasts did do an episode on it, which I listened to and I just can't quite remember what the answer to that is. But honestly, the technology in this space is so incredible that Mm. they're doing it in a way that it's not going to heavily impact the sports watchability. They're also doing incredible work to make sure that what they end up developing, they can actually then provide to a mass market audience. Mm. So not only is it just going to be used by Formula One cars, hopefully in the future, you and I will be able to use it to actually just fuel our everyday cars. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's, an elitist sport, right? Like there's just so much crazy money that is pumped into something like this. So technically they should really be at the forefront of spending the money and being innovative to change it so that they can be more sustainable, specifically with all of the flying. Like that is, it's crazy. Yeah. I do think it's pretty cool that they're taking it on. I mean, as they should, but they're being like, let's develop this and then let's create that for the mass market. It's a good example of how sport can actually impact a much broader part of the community. The other one that I want to touch on because it is backed by stats, but I want to caveat this by saying I'm not sure I believe in it. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Sports fans younger than 40 are more engaged with sports than older viewers, which is why I guess the engagement uplift that we've seen in Formula One is such an advantage. But apparently they care less about watching sport live. Mm. Thoughts? I mean, I don't really know because I don't really care about watching things live. So I like maybe someone would have a different opinion because I also have some friends that get up and watch the soccer at 2am in the morning and like that's really important to them. But I guess as generations go through, we'll become so accustomed to being able to access anything at any time Mm. that people like consumers might demand that it must be at any time. Otherwise, we won't watch. Let me maybe try and put this in a context that might be more relatable. We're both big Hawthorne footy club fans. Mm. 
let's say a couple of weeks ago, Hawthorne played Collingwood and it was an epic game and we beat them extremely unexpectedly. It was super exciting. If you had been out at a lunch and then you saw the result, would you go home and watch the game or would you just have seen the result and go, oh, amazing, we won? Yeah, like I personally wouldn't watch it. Yeah, so I guess that's where I just don't really understand this idea around this trend that people care less about live sport. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. It's not as exciting once you know what the outcome is. Yeah. But I think maybe people will just become accustomed to being able to watch anything at any time that they want. So they'll be annoyed if they can't watch a replay. E.g. like my sister's husband will watch the replay of every Swans game. There is known to man. And it doesn't matter that he knows the score or not. Yeah. I mean, I also do that for the Hawks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So looking to the future then for F1, if I was sitting here right now and I was like, okay, should I be deciding whether to, you know, invest in F1 or not? What are the kind of key things that'll be driving the growth or potentially even hindering the company? So the first sort of growth driver is the calendar is already up to 24 races per year. It has grown quite a bit since Drive to Survive, but it could reach up to 30. So there is the potential for more race promotion, more media rights, more sponsorship, just through literally expanding how many races per year that the drivers do. So we already have governments of Vietnam and Colombia who are seriously considering paying big bucks for the 2025 season that is coming up. Well, it makes sense, right? I mean, if you're saying that like the Victorian government is paying nearly a hundred million dollars to have it it's obviously bringing in cash to the country yeah well one of the newer races saudi arabia paid around a hundred million euros to host a grand prix what else is happening in the future of this sport i have good news for you so love it if you want to be a formula one driver you could be. I would be so <laughs> shit scared. I would never. <laughs> so interestingly, there are actually no rules preventing women from competing in Formula One, but the grid has been pretty much exclusively male for quite a long time. A female driver hasn't competed in the Grand Prix since 1976. Shout out to Lella Lombardi. Wow. Yes. But at the end of 2022, Formula One actually announced that the, there was a formation of an all women's series, which is going to begin this year. And there's an F1 Academy. It's backed by Formula One and it's really all around promoting women drivers in the sport. To be honest, hearing that makes me think that there's so much more potential as well then, because if you've got a full untapped market. I mean, look at what's been happening with the Women's World Cup recently. There are a lot of female race car drivers So it's not like there is zero talent out there. They're just not rising all the way through the ranks to that Formula One level at this stage. But like, what an opportunity. Amazing. I have to do a quick shout out for the any F1 fans who actually are listening. In March of this year, Susie Wolf, who is Toto Wolf's wife, Toto Wolf is the head of Mercedes. She was announced as the new managing director of the all-female F1 Academy. So shout out to Susie Wolf. She's a legend. Okay, so we've got the female growth opportunity. Is there any others looking to the future? Look, what we probably should have started with, but I've left it to the end because it is really the biggest story here. It is the US opportunity. So Probably the biggest impact of what Drive to Survive has achieved is unlocking a US audience. So they have already gone in the last couple of years from one race, which was in Austin, Texas, to three. They added Miami and this year they are adding Las Vegas, which, by the way, I was looking the other day at the race schedule because I love to see which ones are at a time normally F1 races are at like, they start at about 11 p.m. on a Sunday night in Australia time. So it's so annoying because it's like, You've had your weekend. You want to prepare well for the start of the week. And you're like, should I stay up and watch? But I was looking through ahead to see if there are any sort of irregular ones maybe with Asia. 
And I was like, so random. Las Vegas is starting at something like 5 p.m. Saturday night. And I just was like, how on earth does that make sense? And I was talking to my brother. And apparently Las Vegas, it's the first year they're doing their race. Apparently they're starting the race at like midnight or 1 a.m. What? They just want to make it a ginormous party. That is so Las Vegas. I know, right? (laughs) I was going to say it's so funny. I'm like, it's so Vegas. It's so (laughs) Vegas. But really what all of this represents is just this ginormous opportunity to expand the media rights in the US. So just under $1 billion the F1 makes off media today, less than $100 million is coming from the US currently. And to put that in perspective, NFL media rights in the US are worth $10 billion per annum compared to that 100 million that we're currently seeing. Wow. So that is seriously uncapped upside for F1. Well, yeah, you've got a massive population and probably I would assume a lot of people that would be interested in F1 driving. Well, yeah, American social media engagement was up 43% in Q1 of 2023. So the Americans love F1. They're doing a great job at reaching that new audience. Sorry if I missed this at the beginning because maybe I did, but what was the country it originated in? So the technical birth spot for Formula One is England. They had the first race in Silverstone in 1950, which is why Silverstone in the UK is like one of the most, I guess, prestigious races to be in. But it's interesting. I would say Formula One, I guess, is much more influenced by the team. So for example, if you look at Ferrari, there is a massive following initially because Ferrari has been such a long-standing key cornerstone of Formula One. So it did start in England, but yeah, it's been much more impacted by the teams. And traditionally, going back to the US point, the US hasn't really had teams in Formula One. And I think that's something that they're looking at starting in the next couple of years. Well, geez, Mads, you've really, you've actually fully opened my eyes. And I feel like I need to actually get into Drive to Survive. It's one of those things that like some people have said to me, they're like, oh, so jealous. You've never watched it. I feel like that. Yeah. My housemate recently went over to the Monaco Grand Prix to work. He got the coolest gig over there and he didn't understand Formula One. He didn't, hadn't seen it before, hadn't watched Drive to Survive. And I fully sat him down and was like, you are not allowed to go to the Monaco Grand Prix without understanding this. You must watch at least a full season of Drive to Survive. He did it. He loved it. He's a big fan. I would actually also like to say that if Maddie doesn't, if people don't even believe that she's a big fan, last night she was showing me her souvenir from the Monaco Grand Prix, which was his pass into it. And she bought it back for me. She has it like hanging on her desk. Like this is the level that Maddie's at with this sport. Uh, Right next to the Matilda scarf. I was going to (laughs) say. Look, we love it. You've really seen an insight into my personality, I would say. I'm just going to quickly say here as well, because uh, this episode is coming out after grand final of the the soccer so um if matildas have lost i would suggest reaching out to maddie on our instagram you can find us on social media (laughs) at yigc podcast and maybe just you know send condolences because maddie could be you know drinking a lot of wine by herself in her room or send the celebratory celebrations exactly. i mean regardless get in touch we love it join our facebook group yigc investing podcast discussion group and if you have enjoyed this episode we would absolutely love if you could share it with a friend as we said off the top this is our last episode of this series we're so glad that you have enjoyed it just as much as we have you will be hearing from us very soon keep your eyes on our socials for our next series movements we'll see you over there <laughs> bye
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.